0: We all know Vega players want to slide all of the time, and yet we still get hit by it more often than we'd like to admit. As much as we'd like to blame this on blind, scrubby luck, it isn't, and understanding why reveals a fundamental lesson that you can use in virtually every round of your fighting game career. Plus, easy characters can hurt fighting games, and Catalyst gives us four reasons why they shouldn't be top tier on this week's episode of the Event Hub's podcast. All
1: right, welcome back to another episode of the Event Hunt Podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me, as always, is John Velociraptor Guerrero. Hey, how is it going? I've I've had a pretty good week. How's your week been? Mm-hmm. It's been, you know, I haven't been playing Street Fighter as much, and I got sick. People could probably hear my voice. Sorry about that. I've I've been trying to to get myself beautiful for the podcast as I usually do, which is almost impossible because I'm pretty ugly. But um, I so. Uh, anyway, I'm I'm okay, but I have not not been playing Street Fighter as much as I want to, but I'm getting back into it now, John. But I, I've been hearing that you've been playing some maybe Akira. Yeah, maybe no, I've been having... I,
0: I said it last week, but I'll say it again because it's still just as true. Probably more true now uh, because some of the moving parts are coming together. And uh, I've been playing Akira, and she's been really cool. She's uh, we, we were talking about it behind the scenes, and um, it's no secret to anyone here that I play a lot of Nikali. And she seems like uh, in a lot of ways, just a better version of him where you can do a lot of the things you want to do with him, but she's like either safer or she's able to like actually make her confirms matter from farther distances uh, her V trigger is is amazing and goofy and and but a lot of fun. her V skill two once you get those paths down, that's a lot of fun. So I've been figuring her out and doing better than I expect to do with her, especially at this level, watching a lot of different pros like Momochi and gamer B and Mago play her and and see what they're coming up with. um it's been a really good time. so, Man, um, I, I think people have been focusing a lot on Oro, too, which is great, and they've been having fun with him. But so far, this this latest DLC drop has been really good, in my opinion. And, and you know, like, yeah. Rose came out, and there was a lot of hype leading up to her... Uh, and then she kind of was seen as something of a dud like not strong enough and like luffy on like day two was like i'm not playing this character which everyone's kind of sad um, about that and things along those lines and she's gotten better but uh, i guess i say that to say that the splash and then the um and then like the hype and the excitement and the worthwhile gameplay from these this recent dlc batch has been uh particularly strong so happy to see it yeah, uh,
1: and I will. Uh, I know that Anton, uh, um, uh, Filipino man, has been playing uh, Rose quite a bit, and Rose got buffed pretty decently in this patch. We haven't spoken about that yet, but mm. um, her her buffs are are quite significant because you basically now can knock you down. And then make you go through her, her wall of bullcrap now um, uh, more often with, like, her soul punish and stuff. So she's th- – those buffs have been pretty significant. I don't think she's, like, a top-tier character or anything. But um, the they buff the stuff that she's good at, which is always – you know, I'm always a big advocate for. Um, so uh, I think she's a good bit better of a character now. Um, but, you know, probably still – um, you know, mid-ish tier, probably best case scenario, I think for her, um, you know, but Hey, uh, I'd be happy to be proven wrong, but, um, you know, I'm also thrilled to have freaking Rose in the
0: game. This is, you know, so, so yeah, you know, who else is mid-ish tier Vega and he mm. is, well, he is the main focus of what I want to discuss and, um, hone in on this week for my segment. But before I jump into the particulars of that, uh, there's something else. I, I did a story yesterday and Capcom has updated their CFN, uh, online stats where it used to be that all of their ranking, like so their character win rates and their uh, character popularity and all that stuff was all restricted to just a single rank. And I'm sorry, the character popularity hasn't been updated like this, but the win ranks, uh, the win rates and the matchups and all that stuff has been now further detailed and now they've broken it up into, four different ranks so it's like rookie to ultra silver they show the stats for that and then gold to ultra platinum they show the stats for that diamond to warlord and then grandmaster to warlord and so now we get to see how different characters fare at different rank levels um you know relatively speaking at least divided into four here and the character that is the most consistent throughout in um, the only character as of in July of 2021 the most recent stats batch that we have who's in the top 10 for win rates across the board is vega everybody else fluctuates like honda's really good at the at the lower ranks and then he falls off if you go up and the opposite is true for cammy she's really bad she doesn't win very much at the lower ranks but then you get into the top ranks and she's number one vega is in the top 10 of all four of those of those ranks and so that was interesting to me because he's like you said or like i said he's always kind of been mid-tier at best and regarded as like a lower tier character uh, and and so to see that is interesting, and and I gotta say I see Vegas all the time and have like up coming up through the ranks and whatnot, and so um, focusing in on him, there's something that uh, I've been sort of considering for a while now, and it actually points to a bigger so what that you can take and, and apply to the rest of your fighting game <laughs> career and rounds. Every round you play in any fighting game that you play, I think that this is good to know. It's a good tool to have in your belt, but it, it's very clearly exemplified by Vega's slide. And so I want to hone in on that and talk about Vega's slide, specifically how even though it's a very obvious move that you kind of figure out after your first few matches against Vega or as Vega, um, it's still something that hits you more often than I think you'd like to admit. Uh, That's very true for me. Um, And it's more useful. It seems like it's just going to be some kind of a gimmick, and yet it comes out seemingly randomly in the neutral play and it still gets you you know and and, then the the
1: mental the mental guard break on it is huge Mm -hmm. because when you get hit by it it it, it feels like it does double the damage or triple what it actually does (laughs) it hurts like and you're like i can't believe they caught me with that it's frustrating it's it's a it's a it's a really
0: powerful move in the mental damage it does absolutely and it like i say it seems like it's random but if you well i don't want to get too far ahead of myself i want to say that as um i've seen You'd expect Vega players in earlier uh, or, or lower ranks to just spam this move and then sure when you first start out you find out that hey there's this move it's a heavy so it's high priority, it's fast, it comes out in 9 frames, it moves really far forward, it's a low, it knocks down and gives him oki and it's potentially a crush counter. This is one of the most powerful moves you know, by itself that you could ask for in a game. But then, of course, you find also that the, the the counter to it is that, well, it's super unsafe. It's minus 13. All you have to do is block it. And if you block it, you're hitting him with your hardest-hitting grounded combo. So, you know, just block, right? It should be that easy. And then it becomes a gimmick. Well, I'm here in Master and Grandmaster ranks still finding myself getting hit by Vega's slide in neutral when they don't have V-Trigger to make it safe. And I'm going, this is frustrating. I shouldn't be getting hit by this. And it's really easy to just stop there and say, they're getting lucky, they're using lag online, whatever, yada, yada. But the truth of the matter is, I took, uh, I went back and watched some of my replays where Vega players were, were hitting me more often than I felt like they should be. And there's more to the picture than just the slide. It's actually John,
1: are are you saying you took accountability for your problems and didn't just blame it on? <laughs> actually, that's the do... big takeaway from all of why this. Bigger than anything else. Like that? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's my fault. Good. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I watched some replays and I realized no, it's not just that slide in a vacuum. It's actually the uh, the threat of all of Vega's other. Uh, uh, potential tools that are weighing on you whether you're aware of them or not or your instincts are aware of them because they always are once you've faced him a few times and it's actually a pretty high level manipulation now the vega player on the other side may or may not understand this and be able to articulate it to you but if you understand it you can start avoiding this and then it's not only vega's slide that you'll be able to get away from it'll be any moves that you feel like why is this working when i feel like it shouldn't be i feel like i understand this move and yet somehow the other guy or the girl just knows when to do it and they're just catching me it's like well let's break things down a little bit okay so you, uh, you watch Vega's, there are some things that uh, Vega as a character has, and, and they're very strong advantages, very strong tools, and these are, uh, his walk speed is the best in the game. He's the fastest when it comes to walking around. And then also he has a bigger than average reach with his normals. And so what does that amount to? Well, if you imagine uh, Vega's danger zone, every character has a danger zone, right, where they can reach you, where if you are within this range, they can hurt you. And for a lot of characters, Vega's danger zone is, you imagine it like projected if you can go into training mode, it's like this red shadow in front of him. You can't see that when you're playing, but your subconscious knows it's there. And um, and when you're at the tip of it, unless you're like, you know, Dalsim or these farther reaching characters, maybe Chun-Li, you're at a place where he can hit you with his normals, but you can't hit him, which is like one of the worst places to be against any character when that's the situation, right? And so... He, not only does he have a far reach but he's able to move that danger zone really quickly because he's so fast mm-hmm. on his feet and so what ends up happening is you find yourself in that space your subconscious is going i need to get the heck out of here pantera starts playing in your soul and all you want to do is walk right vega makes you want to walk so what he'll do is he'll put some pressure on with say something like uh Like a um, standing medium punch is one of his go to uh, poke tools, right? He'll do like two standing medium punches and you'll block both of those. He'll be pushed out to exactly that space just about where he can still threaten you, but you probably can't reach him with much. And then slide happens. And you'll be sitting there and and seemingly like you've just been blocking for forever. And then on the frame that you stop blocking, Eight frames before that vega has inputted slide and it catches you perfectly it's like that didn't happen by chance that happened because the vega player either directly or indirectly understands exactly when their character makes you want to move usually you just mm-hmm. want to back up and get get out of that danger area so that you can recollect yourself get your get your approach uh you know your your game plan down and then go for it and you want to be up in his face right well, that's... Um, And just to
1: clarify for our listeners here, um, one of the, the key aspects of Street Fighter Five is taking your turn, where the, the opponent has either pushed themselves out or is at such a negative point of time. And this is another layer of that where um, it's special to Vega, where it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm outside of his danger zone. I've weathered the storm of his neutral. Now I get to take my turn and actually, well, not even take a turn. I get to move, right? I get yes. to adjust. And that slide comes right
0: in there and just knocks you off your feet. And it's... Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and 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 not as common, but sometimes they'll be just outside of their of their reach, and they'll whiff a standing medium punch. And I think that that kind of uh that instinctually makes you want to like go, oh, I can be punishing that if I'm just a little closer. And it makes you want to actually kind of walk forward and take advantage of that situation. But the Vega players are just like inputting do the medium punch do the slide and most of the time it works so Mm -hmm. you see that and you go okay i understand what's going on here and now with that knowledge seeing that okay i'm being influenced but if i'm aware of it i can then manipulate further and it is kind of a scrubby tactic at the end of the day because it's an unsafe move at a certain point the vega player is committing to it which is what street fighter 5 is widely based on but he's going to get hit real hard and um, sure enough, the the players that I've run into that have used these kind of strategies, as soon as I put this under the microscope and went back into games with them, man, I was just blowing them up for it. Um, because you're, you're understanding it. It's not just that move, but it's the implication, Dennis Reynolds, of all of the other threats surrounding it that's manipulating you, that's causing you to dance a particular dance. And then <laughs> they're coming in and just sweeping you right off your feet, so to speak. Um, and so... That's nice to know to avoid Vega's sweep, but also I think a lot of people aren't losing sleep over this move because, like we said, Vega's never been like the strongest character. I I do think with that range and with that movement speed, he's got a lot of what he needs to be potentially the best character in the game. Um, And and Capcom has had problems with him as the best character in a lot of previous games just because that's sort of his design. And so I think that what he lacks is maybe damage output or the ability to to continue Oki in meaningful ways so he can't take advantage of those things and become the matter-of-fact best character. But um, his neutral is very, very strong and very manipulative. So yeah, um, you were saying about
1: uh, just real quick you were saying about Vega being a uh, top tier um, people are like, yeah, when has that been the case since like Street Fighter 2 Well uh, in Street Fighter 4 right before the game ship Vega was the number one character in the game in Capcom's internal builds and they nerfed him right before the game came out and so he was low tier for most of Street Fighter 4's lifespan uh, in terms of the public. But in terms of like Capcom's development house, Vega was a dominant character right before. And they're just like, this is too much. Let's let's dial him back. And there it is.
0: Yeah, I think his design is maybe a little bit unfortunate because he doesn't he doesn't tend to play well with others. I think he's one of those that sort of because he's far reaching and fast and good you know, on his feet, you have to kind of like hobble him a little bit and it, he kind of ends up being sort of hot or cold he's like he's kind of either one of the best or you have to nerf him down in other ways to make sure that he's not one of the best because his matter-of-fact tools are so strong um yeah. they've done a pretty good job of balancing him and yeah, he's like in the top 10 of every of every category online and yet not yeah. one of the best characters in the game so hey they've done a pretty good job but um i do think that his his design is difficult to balance say that it is But the bigger takeaway here from all of this is that now whenever you're feeling like there are certain situations and certain moves against certain characters where, you know, you go, I understand this move. It's obvious to me. Um, and yet somehow they seem to be, it's like they just know when to use it and it's working out for them. It's like, am I, am, is Miss Cleo playing on the other end? Do they have a game shark? What the heck's going on? It's probably not that. It's probably that you are not actively aware of some of the other influences that either the moves that they're doing or the moves that your brain knows that they can do are having on you. And you are being much more predictable. Um, than you think you are, and therefore setting yourself up to get hit by these things, or they're setting you up to get hit by them, and you are taking the bait. So anytime that that's happening, go and watch the replays, and think about the other factors at play, the other things that are making you dance around, and see if you can't be manipulating things on that level as well. And uh, there you go.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I. Whenever you have that that feeling in your stomach, like you you had it earlier, you were saying like, why am I getting hit by by Vega sweep like this? And for other players, it might be you know Balrog's Rush Punch or you know Bison Stomp or whatever. It's whatever you have a, a a visceral reaction to. That's something you need to study a little bit more. And usually, the things that you complain about the most are the things you probably need to lap the most. That's usually how it works. But uh, but there it is.
0: Absolutely. And hey, by the way, you know, if you guys have any particular moves like this, that that um, you felt like are, Man, this is this move, I, I think I get it. But for whatever reason, I don't or I'm just having a, a special amount of problem with it. Hey, hit us up in the comments and let us know. And maybe we will uh, cover some of those in a future episode and give some tips from from our point of view. So hit us up. All right. All right,
1: John, I wanted to talk now about easy characters hurting fighting games and four reasons why they basically should not be top tier. But first off, I want people to actually leave a comment below. We just asked them to leave a comment, leave another comment on this video um, with their easy to play characters who are also top tier. I'm curious if there are any people like we haven't accounted for. We talk about, you know, Cami and Bison, we've done whole videos about this, but are there any characters we're missing that people feel like are are particularly easy to play but are top tier and that are kind of like the problems here? But again, speaking of the problems, people are immediately going to be like, okay, why is this such an issue, Catalyst? Why are you such a jerk? Why do you always talk about my characters this way? Well, guess what? Number one reason here that that um, easy character should not be top tier is it is bad game design developers can design all sorts of powerful techniques in fighting games but usually the most powerful ones are locked behind some kind of execution wall or meter requirement for example zangief's super and ultra moves tend to be extremely powerful they grab you on frame one they do a massive amount of damage they're heavily invincible and and they might be outright broken if you give them to other characters mm-hmm. but to pull these off you need to do a 720 motion which is extremely difficult to do on the fly uh you can't do
0: it like a dp you've got to really set it up right uh, i have limits... so many blisters i'm sorry but this is really important when i was kid playing sf2 on uh the snes trying to do zangief uh, gra- command grabs which i never really got down as like a five or six year old or whatever I had so many blisters trying to like mash those things out. It was so frustrating. And and so as you say that, it immediately took me back to those moments where it's like this isn't even a thing. And it's like obviously this is probably more of an arcade stick or at least a, a, a you know a joystick on a controller kind of a thing. But I remember trying to do it on the D-pad of an SNES controller and ugh, bad times. Yeah. And, and
1: yet, uh, like Snake Eyes, who you know was a master of doing this, Van Geef and a bunch of others who were the masters of getting the 720s out in situations you did not think they could, they all played on pad. They figured it out with a pad, and it's like, ah, oh, but I have the yeah, same issues as you. Yeah, but not a SNES you. pad. These are, yeah. like, they've, they've been updated since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, uh, so anyway, um, so with Zangief's move, you've also got to build up your meters with this and pick Zangief who traditionally has a very limited tool set in these games. It's not like, you know, Zangief has got a fireball and like an uppercut and a bunch of other things. He's got a handful of Yeah, he's he, (laughs) poor poor Zangief fans. Anyway, so, so yes, it's a powerful technique. His his command grab that's a 720 is a super powerful technique, but there are numerous hurdles you need to clear to use it properly. And generally, you know, Zangief is pretty well thought of in these games from a balanced perspective. He's very tried and true. It's, uh, you rarely hear hear people complain about Zangief uh, in these games. It's kind of like, yeah, he's, he's kind of is what he is. Now, let's say, for example, that you remove the meter the execution requirements from this move, and you make it a normal special that can be done with two buttons. All of a sudden, this move would dominate the entire game, and the entire focus would be landing on it. The moment Zangief came out, it would just be bonkers. That's the risk you start running into when you design basic characters who are top tier. All these things that should be a factor in how strong a character is, like execution, the game's meta, uh, they get dialed back, and you end up with a really unbalanced product. Um, Other examples of this would be, you know, too powerful V-triggers like Balrog in season two, you know, you, you activated it and the round didn't start until Balrog popped his V-trigger too, right? And it was not hard to do his setups in there. It's pretty much you, you do the setups and they work or you do the setups or not. It was, it was too much reward for too little, um, too little, you know, uh, thought, effort, execution. Yeah. 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 So basically the thing about this is like there are very tried and true things in fighting games. And and if it's not coming down to execution and strategy and and you're putting too much reward on this stuff, that's bad design. And we do not want bad design in these fighting games. It's proven over and over and over again. If you do this, like these characters are just going to be way too uh, plentiful. And that brings me to my next point. Uh, Number two, it hurts diversity. We've seen this a ton in fighting games through the years, and Kami and Bison are very obvious examples in Street Fighter V, and then you have someone like Bayonetta in Smash 4. When you make characters who are easy to play and top tier, why would you bother learning more complex fighters? You know, it's, it's a very long-running theme in fighting games where if an easier-to-play character is top tier, the community is going to fuck to them, they're they're all going to be playing this character actually. and you look no further than our own uh, tournament statistics uh, stories that we run after, uh, you know, the majors and stuff, which will you know be showing up here. Um, you can see fighters appear way more often than others, some of them, uh, and if you check into how difficult they are to play, you're going to see very consistent patterns in here. It's it's why we complain about you know uh, easy to play characters being top tier. It's like, well, guess what? They dominate the tournament circuit, and you know, uh, we talked about this before. Like Hammy number one, at, I believe, the Grandmaster and Warlord rank. And it's because, you know, guess what? She's the easiest character to play in the game
0: or among them. And she's really freaking strong. Right. Oh, I mean, so you're, it's... you're a Zangief example where if Zangief could do an SBD just by pressing two buttons. So all he had to do was walk up and then press these buttons. Um, and, and like people could get that that satisfaction that easily. It's like how many Zangiefs would there be? right? Like, uh, Uh, I mean, uh, sure, it, it would be chaos. It would be crazy. And then like, yeah, you're right. Like the rest of the roster be damned. Yep. Yeah. So number three, it messes
1: with risk and reward. Fighting game footsies are built on the fundamentals of uh, if a move is strong in this scenario, it needs to have several drawbacks in other scenarios. And the easiest way to explain this is with Heavy Attacks in Street Fighter. These moves typically have the longest reach and are the most powerful, but they also have the most recovery and are the most negative on block. Not in all cases, but in the majority of cases, that's how the, the heavies in this game work. Um, if there's no reasons to use your other buttons because the Heavy Attacks cover all options in our, all scenarios... You've messed with the game's risk and reward. It's like, well, I could hit other buttons, but why not just hit standing heavy punch? I play bison. Why not just hit heavy punch? And and that has been a problem. And if you look at, like, you know, your average, and you can look up the stats on this, too. If you look at, at a bison player's heavy punch usage, like how much they hit a heavy punch button versus how much other people do, you're going to see it's quite a bit more with that bison player. And it's like, well, why would I not hit this? You know, and... Yeah, so it, it's it's it really comes down to the staples easy button here. I mean you could learn all the frame data, you could learn how to react to moves in a bunch of matchups,
0: or I can just hit heavy punch that the concept of risk and reward and balance i think it's maybe it's better to say balance but especially in fighting games you're really thinking about it along the lines of risk and reward that is at every layer of of the fighting game it might be at every layer of life but we don't need to get that philosophical but you know when you're talking maybe more about the character select screen it's like why would i do this when i could do this it's like the the risk reward is is if it's lopsided over here then I'm going to just go and, and, and do that. But ultimately that takes away from the experience because people don't like that. It's frustrating or it's too easy or, you know, and that's, those are evidences of an imbalance. But when things are right there, it's like one foot on either side and you're, and you're, you're right over the line and, and, and appropriately balanced with these things. It's much more fun. It's like this move has this much risk and this much reward to it. So I have to use it with this kind of balance in order to see fruit. Then when I see the fruit come out, when I've done the work and I've, and I've, implemented it correctly it means something versus i can go up and press two buttons with zangief and win it's like great but that there's not a lot of meaning that comes out of that and it's a lot of frustration on the other side because of the imbalance and such so um i think it happens at the character select screen it happens you know with individual moves it happens with kind of general character designs um it happens with games but uh you know if you can say the risk reward is balanced on any certain level i think you're doing things right and it's a good barometer to use to check yourself
1: literally stole the words out of my mouth number four the oh, point uh is it's it's not fun uh legitimately it's not fun to do this stuff you li- you literally had all this stuff i i had written down that you didn't know about and you said it all for me so i'm there's your go next wrap up. john said it better than i could and all that stuff it's just not fun to do it so again i so those are the, the top four points but i want to be clear here that more straightforward characters um, are not only perfectly fine to have in these games, they're absolutely needed. You do need lower execution characters and more straightforward characters. It's extremely important that those are in the game because you have a bunch of casual players. You have a bunch of people who don't want to spend three years in training mode to learn Manat, you know, kind of thing. That's that's crap. Like that's not fun for a lot of people. And if you don't have these these more you know straightforward characters, like it, it just ruins your game. But what you don't want is you don't want those characters to be too high-end because, again, history just shows that large parts of the community will just go over to these characters and not mess with anyone else because it's like, why would I, right? And these games are heavily based on DLC in this day and age, and you want people to actually pick up and play uh, these new fighters once you release them. And if there's a launch roster character that you can do as well or better with than the DLC fighters with less effort, why would you not pick that character? Like, history shows people want the easiest and cheapest stuff. Right, like that's just the way it is, and and so you have to make sure all this stuff is, is factored in when you're releasing these characters, and that you just don't have these these brain dead characters that are dominating the game. And brain dead is a heavy word. My apologies. I, there's some salt here because I play very technical characters you mean uh, in this version. Stupid
0: idiot characters for <laughs> dumb, stupid people. I gotta. <laughs>
1: Uh, please uh, uh, tell your friends about the Event Hubs podcast. Like the video, th- <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, there's some salt here, you know. But again, I when I get my ass handed to me by a high-end cami player of bison, like I know that they outplayed me. You know, it's it's not just because of their character. It's like, look, but I'm I'm talking about, you know, the overall experience. I'm not just talking about my experiences and stuff with this. It's like, like, look, you know, we want these games to be better and we realize that this is a sore thumb. So let's, let's finally address this more head on and actively talk about, you know, the, the, how complex these characters are to play versus how good they are. Yeah.
0: You know, and, and especially in the realm of esports, which is a big thing and, and appreciating high level fighting games. And in this case, probably Street Fighter, the thing that people go to watch the reason why people sit in the audiences of things like the olympics or in this case you know maybe evo or capcom cup is to see people um, having refined their abilities and pushed pushed beyond the limits of what we feel like might be possible so when you have a character like you know something super simple like cami doing a dive kick or something like that and most of the work being done for them versus Uh, a character that has to hit confirm and plays based on that. So I, I go to Karen and I know that she's somewhat controversial, but I think she's a kind of character that deserves to be top tier um, and because of the things that she's relying on it's like her tools are really good But not anyone can just do them and if anyone can just do them then then she's no longer in that category She needs to be right there on the cusp of what people can do And then if someone has put in the effort and refined their their abilities to the point where they are playing at that level And they are pushing beyond and they're like setting the new record or they're doing amazing things Like we've seen daigo do for instance over the years. That's where we sit and we go that's amazing and you want to set your game up to be something where pro players can do that where they can go and they can push just beyond the limits of what we feel may or may not be possible and where we are wowed and we go i can't do that or i can't do that without a ton of effort and work and i can see their effort and work manifest beautifully in front of me on this big screen where i see the likes of idom or punk or whomever doing these things that not everyone can do it's like set your game up so that those kind of things are possible and um and so like if your best characters are the ones that operate in that way well the best players in the world are going to put in the time you're going to put in the effort and they're going to show you how amazing and, and and um wowing your game can be on that level versus like you don't want a capcom cup with 30 Rashids in there just doing the routine you know dial it in whatever and and then there you go so yeah, for the for the amazement factor, for the wow factor, for the reason we sit and we watch the top levels of anything, especially physical, but mental, whatever it is, it's like if you don't have a balance here, if you don't have more technical execution necessary characters at your forefront as your top tiers, you're not gonna you're gonna shoot yourself in the foot and not let yourself be that as a as a game, as a company.
1: It's um and John, I, I really take issue with you saying thirty Rashids at a Capcom Cup. It's not like we'd ever see six Rashids at a Capcom Cup. Alright, y'all. That's gonna wrap us up for this week of the Event House podcast. Once again, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll be back with you soon. Bye bye.